following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9, 10, 30, or 12 in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. So this weekend, uh, my wife Rebecca is out of town. She's, uh, she's got a trip she takes almost every year where she meets up with, with some of her college girlfriends and they kind of have like a, a reunion together. And so that means that at home it's dad weekend. And I have two, we have two kids. Um, our, our, my daughter Scarlett, she's three. Our, um, my son Nehemiah, he's one. And so it's, um, it's dad weekend. And a success for a dad weekend is that nothing in the house is irreparably broken, including the children by the time my wife returns. And so um, what's interesting is, uh, you know, my kids and I, we have, I love my kids, I have a great relationship with them, and we wrestle and I tickle them, and we have little games that we play. But man, there is just a dynamic when mama is not home. Because as much as I know my kids love me, they really love their mama. And I love her too, especially after weekends like this. And so before, I was always aware of what, you know, I'm very aware of the dynamic when my wife is gone, but I'm starting to learn now that my daughter is three, she's pretty verbal, I'm now learning how they are perceiving the dynamic when I'm gone. And there's something about a three-year-old, if they have the words to describe what they're feeling, what they're thinking, they will say it. There's not a a long distance, there's no slowing down, there's no speed bumps from it going into the brain and out the mouth, just not a whole lot of discretion there. And so I know exactly where they're at. So um, there was a little incident where the kids were fighting and one was biting the other and all this stuff. And so I'm kind of separated them and I put one's in timeout over here and I'm talking to Scarlett over here and Scarlett's upset and she's crying and she says, I want my mama. And then she says, and I'm stuck with dada. (laughs) I'm getting some mixed signals here. How do you really feel? Okay, I'm not sure I understand this. So there's some good and bad. So on one hand, okay, I know exactly where she's at. But then a little later, um, we, we go out, we get pizza, the three of us, and we're walking down the sidewalk, and I'm, I'm holding Nehemiah in one hand. I've got Scarlett on the other hand. And all of a sudden, we're walking along, and Scarlett says, Dada, I love spending time with you. To which my insides turn to liquid, <laughs> melt completely, Dada, why are you weeping uncontrollably? You know, as we're walking along. There's good and bad. And what, in that age, okay, there's just not a lot of discretion. And hopefully the idea is along the way as we mature as adults, we gain some discretion along the way, hopefully. And that is sometimes a challenge for us. But sometimes it's especially a challenge because of the situations we find ourselves in. Like sometimes we're just in a tough situation and we're saying, man, I don't know if I'm supposed to say something. I feel like I should say something. Is this the right moment? But not even the timing. How far do I go? And there's times where we feel like I'm saying too little and there's times it's like, okay, yes, I've definitely said too much. And finding that balance in the midst of those messy situations are a challenge. And it's especially a challenge When we're saying, okay, God, I I believe that you've placed me in this environment that you've put me in. I know that you, I believe you want to use me in this environment. I I think you want to use me for good in this environment. And so there's times where you get like an opportunity to speak into, maybe it's speaking into someone's life 
that you see is making bad decisions and you're like, okay, man, I don't know how they're going to receive this, but I can't just sit by and not say anything. Well, when do you say it and how much do you say? When you kind of have a gut feeling it's not going to go very well. Then there's maybe another situation. Maybe you're just, you have a friend or family member and you, man, you just have such a heart for them to have an encounter with God like you have. You just want to share your faith with them. When do you say it? How do you say it? Or, or what about you're at your job and you, you, you feel like the company is making a decision that, man, going in a direction you're not comfortable with, maybe it's morally or ethically, and you're saying, okay, what's my role here? When do I say something? When do I speak up? How far do I go? What do I say? Man, it's messy in these situations. How do we know what to say and how much to say? Well, we're going to learn a lot from a character in the, in the Bible in the Old Testament named Daniel. If you'd open in your Bibles, if you have it, or a Bible app to Daniel, we're going to look at chapter 2 in a, just a beautiful story here in Daniel 2. And we're just going to enjoy reading through most of this chapter and just enjoy watching this story unfold. But, but along the way, it's going to be very helpful for us in our own lives as well as we see the truths that Daniel lived by and how the wisdom he operated in. Just a little background on what this time in history is. This is several hundred years before the time of Jesus. And Daniel and his three friends, you'll, you'll hear them by both their different, their Babylonian and their Hebrew names in this. Uh, their Babylonian names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And all four of these men, they grew up in Israel, and they grew up in a context that was built with their call to godliness in mind. Everyone was called to live a certain way before God, and the society was built around that. Well, in their lifetime, Babylon comes in, conquers Jerusalem, takes them off to exile, and now they're living in a, in a context that their lifestyle is not, wasn't built with their lifestyle in mind. It's hard to live in that environment and operate in that environment and also trying to live a life that honors God. Maybe that sounds familiar because that's a parallel to, to the environments we often find ourselves in. What makes it even more challenging for these four young men is they are then scooped up, placed in the king Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the most powerful man in the known world at the time, placed in his palace, being groomed to be his advisors. What do you mean by advisors? Remember, ancient Babylon, they're pretty superstitious by our standards. And so they are being, he's being trained as a group of what's called wise men. These wise men are filled with enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. They're basically trained to use sorcery and witchcraft to interpret omens for the king and to advise him. This is where these good Jewish boys find themselves. They're being trained to be sorcerers. It's complicated. It's a pretty messy situation. How are they supposed to live a godly life? Even more, how are they supposed to make a godly impact in this environment? Well, let's see how this story goes. Daniel chapter 2, we're going to look in verse 1. It's also going to be up here on the screens. Daniel chapter 2, verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the, to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. Listen to this. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb. 
and your house shall be laid in ruins. But if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Okay, this is a, a tough day to be a wise man. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Now remember, in this time period, it's not just like, hey, I had a nightmare, comfort me. This is not what's going on. They believe these dreams are significant. And in fact, it turns out this dream is significant. And he knows there's an interpretation. So he brings the wise men together and he says, okay, I need you to help me with this dream. Like, no problem, that's what we're here for. Tell us the dream, we'll tell you the interpretation. He says, not this time. This is so important. I can't have you guys messing around and just tossing out your ideas. This is so important. I've got to know for sure that you're giving me the accurate interpretation. So to test that, first, you need to tell me the dream. Then I'll know you can accurately tell me the interpretation. By the way, if you can do that, great. I'll honor all of you, give you a bunch of stuff. If you can't, I'm going to tear you limb from limb. Which now, just as a reminder... Because this is the Babylonians, when he says tear them limb from limb, that's not like a metaphor for something. That's probably literal. And we'll just leave it at that. Let's go to verse 7. These wise men have some things they want to say back. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time. Because you see that the word for me is firm, if you do not make known the dream, make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream and I shall know for sure that you know its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, listen to this, this is key wording here. There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing to any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult and no one can show it to the king except, look at this, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Okay, two key wording here and we're going to keep going because I want just this story. It's just so good. We'll just play it out here. Two things, they specifically say, and you've got to remember this for later, they say, there is not a man on earth who can do this, except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. They're way up high somewhere, they don't care, they're not down here with us. Okay, remember that wording, let's keep going, verse 12. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious, that's not good. And commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out and the wise men were about to be killed. And they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with, look at this, prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made known the matter to Daniel, and Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time, look at this, that he might show the interpretation to the king. Okay, we're going to keep going here, but let's just pause here for a second, okay? I want you to see, first of all, um, the Arioch is going around. He's not just going to kill the current wise men. He also wants to kill the wise men in training. He's mad. 
all of them are going to die. So that includes Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to be killed as well. They come pounding on the door. Arioch is the captain of the king's guard, who's going to be the executioner. Kicks, kicks the door down. I am here to collect you, to tear you limb from limb. And Daniel says, whoa, whoa, man, hey, buddy, let's just simmer down. What is going on? He tells him what's going on. He says what happened. And then did you notice that Scripture says Daniel responds with discretion? Key for this passage. He responds with discretion. And then he says, of all things, that's fine. Set an appointment for me and the king. I will go in and I will tell him the interpretation. That's pretty brave. Let's see what happens. Verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven discerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Yeah, no kidding. He closes the door and says, hey guys, I think I just did something really dumb, okay? I just told him I would stand before the king, tell him his dream and the interpretation. We need to beg God for mercy, okay? This could be really, really bad. They start praying. What happens? Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what it is. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. For you have given me wisdom and might and, and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Okay, now, I want you to see how this story is playing out. This is an awesome story. I mean, this would make like a great movie, okay? The, the king's pacing back and forth. He's had this nightmare. He's wrestling. What does it mean? He brings the magicians. You can imagine just what the sight of all these sorcerers coming in before the king, all strutting and proud. And he lays down this ultimatum that they're going to be torn limb from limb. And can you imagine seeing them? I mean, sweat on their brow. They're getting, they're, I mean, the intensity in this. And Nebuchadnezzar's getting more and more furious, which is terrifying because he can do anything. And he sends out Arioch. He's rounding them all up. Maybe they're yelling and screaming and thrown into prison. And he goes and he pounds on the door with Daniel. I mean, you imagine the drama? This is intense. There's drama in between these verses that we don't get to see. And I mean, it's moving, this whole story is moving at a good clip, isn't it? I mean, we don't get a lot of those details. It's like, well, then the king sent out Arioch, and then he's got to go get Daniel. And Daniel says, what are you doing? And then he says, well, Daniel says, okay, I can interpret it. And then they pray, and then they give, they, God gives him the interpretation. I mean, it's moving so fast. And then it like goes into slow-mo for a second. I mean, see all the pacing, and then we hear, and then Daniel wrote a little praise song to God, and here's what it was. It's like so fast moving that all of a sudden it goes into slow motion for a second. It's like, I, it's like the, the narrator saying, I don't want you to miss this right in the middle. It's like this is what the story is about. God reveals Daniel the mystery and Daniel praises God and say, God, you are the God over all. You place kings and tear them down. You're the one who reveal, you, you are the one who gives wisdom to people. If someone has wisdom, it's from you. 
you're the one who reveals all knowledge. He stops and gives kind of slow motion. It stops and says, you've got to hear this prayer. It's the center of what this whole passage is about. Watch how this plays out. It's fascinating. 24. Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah, look at this wording, a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, his Babylonian name, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, no. Imagine Arioch like gulps, like slowly backs out of like the throne room. You know, I mean, this is awkward. No. Wise men, enchanters, and magicians or astrologers, no one can show to the king the mystery the king has asked. But there is a God in the heavens who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who revealed mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, I love that he does this. This mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Daniel walks in, says to Arioch, okay, I'm ready to interpret it for him. Arioch says, this guy's going to interpret it for him. I found a man who can interpret it. King says, are you going to interpret it for me? And he says, no. Arioch's like, can I just have a minute with Daniel here for a second? Come here. Daniel, we had a conversation about this a little bit before. He says, no. No enchanter, magician, or astrologer can do it. No man can. But God can. He says, oh, God can. God is the one that can reveal this dream to you. And I love what Daniel does next. Daniel says, he, he says, and by the way, I can't take any credit. It's not by any wisdom of me that, I, that God revealed it to me. You know, he could have just left it. And he's like, no, no, God's the one who revealed it to me. And now he's like Nebuchadnezzar's special oracle. He's the channel that God speaks through but to make sure, crystal clear, that it's only God that's getting the glory. He says, and by the way, the fact that he spoke to me has nothing to do with me. I'm not special at all. He just chose to, spoke, to speak to me. Now, he's going to go in and he's going to explain the whole dream. I wish we had time to go into this dream because it is fascinating, especially from a historical perspective. The fact that when this dream happened in the time of history it did, your homework is to go back and look at that dream because it is fascinating. But let's read what happened after he told him the dream and interpreted it. This is what happened. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, this is verse 46, then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded, commanded that an offering and incense be offered to him, the king answered and said to Daniel, listen, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. 
Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king. This is great. Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. At the end of this dream, the king is shocked. This, I mean, unprecedented, the most powerful man in the world falls down on his face before Daniel. And we're just like, oh no, is he going to worship Daniel? No, he says, truly your God is over all the gods. And he's the Lord of kings. The boss, the chief of kings. In other words, we all submit to him. Is that unbelievable? And then, I love this, even though Daniel positioned himself, it's not about me, I'm not special, Nebuchadnezzar, by God's plan, still raises Daniel up. He's over the whole province of Babylon, the capital, over the whole province of Babylon. And then Daniel just decides his first first, um, moment of business. He says, you know, uh, there's a couple guys, they're really hard workers, really sharp. I'd love to uh, promote them. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I would love to promote them um, over the rest of, uh, all over Babylon. It would be great. They'll be hard workers for you, king. And here's what God does. First of all, at the end of this whole chapter, he's positioned these four godly men in some of the most key positions of influence. And if you think that this is the end of the story, no, this is just a stepping stone to what's going to happen later through Nebuchadnezzar in this kingdom that is going to transform the world. Amazing. That God has now positioned them right where he wants to use them. But that's not even the whole point of this passage. The whole point of this passage is zeroes in as you see the flow all the way through. It's that God is the one who reveals all mysteries. The entire, all of history, the story of history is in his hands. He is the one who reveal it. Don't you love that in one foul swoop in this story, God renders all these wise men absolutely worthless. In one moment, makes them all worthless so that they realize it's just God who reveals mysteries. God had an incredible plan here that God was doing. But in the midst, Daniel had a role to play. And there's one attribute of Daniel, that one character trait that he's praised for in this. The, the, not Nebuchadnezzar, not Arioch, not his friends. The narrator of the story praises him for one attribute. Is it faith? It's an incredible act of faith, isn't it? He's like, oh, everyone's going to be destroyed. I'll step up, take me before the king. Remember, he's a wise man in training. He's probably never even seen the king. He's going to go stand before the king, have a little one-on-one, and the fate of all of the wise men are on his shoulders. What incredible faith. I mean, is he praised for his faith? Is he praised for his bravery? I mean, that's incredible. No, he's praised for his discretion. Did you see that? Watch how this story plays out. Man, it is so interesting. The story plays out. You've got all these wise men, and they say specifically, no man on earth can do what you're asking, only the gods. In the end, by the very end, Daniel will repeat that. He says, no man, says no astrologer, no magician, no wise man can do it, only God. And then after that, even Nebuchadnezzar admits that. God is the one who reveals mysteries. See, the whole flow of this passage, but in between there, you see Daniel has so much discretion. Let's review. 
Arioch comes to his door. Here's the situation. Does Daniel, does, does Daniel take this moment? Everyone's going to be killed because no one can interpret this dream. Does he say, well, what are, what's wrong with you? Of course no one can interpret or tell you this dream. Only God can do it. Your theology is so off, man. You know what the problem is? Does he complain about his situation? The problem is this king is terrible to work for. I just can't even work for him. Does he say, you know what? Here's the issue. It's these evil sorcerers and witchcraft. When are you guys going to get it through your head that this is not going to work? God's never going to work through sorcery. What's wrong with you? Does he get on a soapbox? Does he say, you know what? Here's the problem is you think a man can do it. A man can't do it. Only God can do it. No. Very simply. I'll do it. Is that as hard? Is he just like, you know, a lot of bravado? No, he knows right where he, he, he has it in his heart. He know, he's got it all worked out in his heart. He begs God to reveal the mystery. And then he praises God. Then he goes back to Arioch and says, all right, I can do it. Does he say, God showed me. I'm going to tell you the dream before I even go in there. You've got to hear this dream. Here's the dream. God showed it to me because here's the problem. You guys have got this all wrong all this whole time, man. It's all about God and not wise men. And here's the, no, saves it. It's discreet. He says, all right, I'm ready. He takes him in, and it's then when he says, Nebuchadnezzar, here's what you need to know. Only God reveals mysteries. And then at the end, God reveals mystery, this incredible thing, and Nebuchadnezzar says, your God is the God of gods. What does Daniel do? He says, well, now that I got your attention, I got a list of things we got to talk about. First of all, your theology is terrible. There's not a bunch of other gods, Nebuchadnezzar, Okay. Let me just take this moment. There's only one God, and you guys have these idols everywhere. I don't know why, Nebuchadnezzar, you need to shift your worship. I mean, now that you're on your knees, can we just talk about getting rid of all these idols out of the palace because this is terrible? Does he go on a tirade? Does he go for No, just quietly, discreet, shows discretion, shows wisdom, and, he, and then he promotes his buddies. See, here's what we, he's praised for. God, it's all God's doing. But his role to be discreet and to have discretion. You say, man, but that's the hard thing. Uh, maybe you're saying, I'm in a situation now. I don't know when to say something, how far to go. Am I, am I not saying enough? Am I not seizing an opportunity? Have I said too much? Some of us in here, you're like, man, my tendency is I always say way too much and I always get myself in trouble. Others in here say, man, I feel like I never speak up and I, I wonder if I should be speaking up more. How do I find discretion? Let's unpack this a little bit. We can learn from Daniel. I want to think through it by looking at this diagram. Look at, look at this up here. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down this diagram because it's going to help us think through it. Okay, here's, I want you to think of this tension because there's two important tensions when it comes to the timing. If you're in a situation now, you're wondering when to share, there, there's such an important tension here. One is patience and the other is passion. One is waiting and the other is urgency. You have to have both. You have to leave those intention because on one side, you have to have patience because this is God's story. It's not yours. He knows when the right moment is. It's completely in his control. It doesn't have, it's, you can rest in the fact that it's his story he's telling. You don't have to control it. Wait on the Lord. Have patience. But on the other hand, we have to have urgency. We have to have an appropriate urgency and passion for this situation because, man, I can just wait forever. God, it's got to be perfect. All the stars have got to align. The per- person has to pretty much just say everything I'm about to say and so that I can just say yes and run away. 
No, we've got to have passion and say, I've got to seize this moment when it comes. We have to live in tension because we can never say anything or we can, we can jump in and be reckless and push too hard. And we've got to have discretion. Daniel is praised for his discretion. He, do you notice he picks his moment? He doesn't go into a long explanation with Arioch even before he's before the king. He just waits. Does Arioch have a complete wrong impression of what's happening? Yes, but he picks his moment right there before the king. He has timing. But there's another thing we've got to think through. How do you know where patience and passion, where's the line? There's another line on this that is another tension. It's caution and it's courage. This is about the content. We've got to have caution because sometimes we want to jump in and we want to say something, but we already know in our minds, like our gut is telling us, our basic wisdom is telling us, I'm going to say this and it is a conversation killer. It's over. The relationship may be over. Opportunities may be over. And I have to appreciate that and have caution. On the other hand, there's times that I'm never willing to risk the relationship for truth. And there are times I'm going to have to risk the relationship for truth. And there's times that I'm going to have to speak up and I'm going to just flat out need courage. There's times I'm going to have to say something and you're going to have to say something in a situation and you're going to be, it's going to be a big risk. But we've got to have courage and we have to have caution because sometimes what we do is we say, well, I already know how this is going to go and we use caution as like our cover for just being cowardly. But we have to have courage. On the other hand, we have to have caution because Christian, not everything you could speak up about, you should speak up about. You might have one conversation between you and your coworkers, where all of a sudden they will say, I'm not listening to this person anymore. So what are you going to use up that opportunity about? Is it going to be some current issue that you have a, uh, you're really passionate about and that you, man, you've, you, you're, you're frustrated on this one current issue that everyone's talking about or this one thing going on in our society? Man, that is my, so any chance I get, I'm going to try and convert people to my perspective on that. Well, is that the best use of God placing you there? Because I'm pretty sure the scripture says, when Paul said, I spoke to you what is of first importance, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christian, you're not necessarily to speak up about everything you could. Daniel could have said, hey, we got to talk about wise men. Here's the problem. It's the wise men, the system of sorcery. God cleanly toppled that all by himself. He doesn't have to say, you know, well, here's the thing. While you're talking theology, Nebuchadnezzar, and while you're still down paying homage to me, let me tell you, your theology's all wrong. No, Daniel just senses God's got a story. I'm just playing my role in this. He has caution and also has courage. And where all of those things intersect, that is where we find discretion. Is when we let those tensions and we simply sit and say, God, you've got to work. You've got to show me how to work in this situation. God, I'm waiting on you. I'm going to be patient, but I'm also going to realize the urgency and have passion. God, I'm going to be cautious on what I say, choosy about what I say, but there's going to be times that I'm going to have to risk and say it. So maybe it's that friend that you have. Man, you want so badly for them to know what you found with Jesus, and, and you want so badly just to, them to have an encounter with God like you have. You'd love to share your faith, and you pray for an opportunity. It just never seems like it's there. And then one day, the conversation cracks open. What do you do? 
Sometimes Christians, we just say, oh yeah, that's good. And then we don't take that risk and say, okay, here's, push it a little bit more. What do you think about this? But sometimes Christians, we say, this is my opportunity. It's the only one I'm going to get. We kick open the door recklessly. And that person's like, I am never having this conversation with you again. Discretion. Maybe it's that person where that person where it's like, man, it's that family member that is making some bad decisions and you're so burdened for them. It might be your own child, your grown child, and you have a limited amount that you can speak into, your, into their life and you're praying, God, give me that opportunity to speak into their life because I want to speak truth into their life. And one day the opportunity comes. You know what, time, what sometimes Christians do? What sometimes they just, they go right until it's going to get risky and don't do anything else. But sometimes what we do is we say, you know what, I'm just going to say it because I've had this percolating for a while. I am angry and here's this and this and this. Do you realize how this affects the rest of your family? And we say all this stuff and we're reckless. We're saying, I'm just going to speak the truth. And what we're thinking is, I'm going to be reckless and rude and let God pick up the pieces. And we call that faith. Have discretion. Risk. Speak the truth, but be wise. You're only there, God's got a story, you're only there to say your part. This is God's story. You're not the Holy Spirit. He has a story, and he has you there just for one part of the story. So use discretion. And know it's not the end of God's story. It's going to require passion and urgency and courage, but you also have to have caution and patience waiting on the Lord. It's called discretion. There's something else that's so powerful about this story. Can you imagine being those wise men, these sorcerers, enchanters? They're all locked in these cells. They're being rounded up from all over the empire, and they're being waited. They're waiting to be literally torn limb from limb. Can you imagine that? And one day, all of a sudden, the guard comes back in the dungeon, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, here it is!" And they're starting to get scared, and maybe they're hiding behind each other, and they're all pushing each other out of the way. And all of a sudden, they just open the gates and say, "You can go free." They thought for sure, maybe some of them thought it was a trick. They thought for sure they were facing a gory execution. Can you imagine what happened? Well, Daniel, there's this one of these wise men in training. You guys haven't even met him yet. There's Daniel, and um, he stood up. And because of his actions, you're all saved from this execution. Can you imagine how powerful that would have been? What's interesting is they will end up being Daniel's enemies. They end up hating Daniel. And so Daniel's one action his action saved his enemies. Does that sound like a familiar narrative? Did you catch this one wording in there that is just fascinating that it's in there a couple hundred years before Christ? They say, no man can interpret this mystery, only the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. Does a little alarm go off in your head? See, this story is pointing to an even greater story that a couple hundred years later, there would come one who is not just God among the flesh, God in the flesh. It's pointing to a story of one who would stand before God as the representative of those of us because of our sin who are enemies of God and by his actions, we will all be set free from our impending judgment of our sins where we will face not just death, but an eternity away from God. 
and by his one actions, the gates are open and we can be let free, except the difference between Daniel and Jesus is Jesus didn't also go free. His limbs were stretched out and he was excruciatingly killed for us. And he took all of our sin on the cross and rose again on the third day, paying our sins before God, King of the universe, and his actions rescue us. Maybe this morning that's the first step for you. Maybe this morning is just to simply realize, you know what Jesus has done for you? We're all facing an eternity away from God because of our sins, but Jesus, God in the flesh, was our representative. He died for us and his actions set us free for eternity. If you simply put your faith in Jesus this morning, you will be saved forever, forgiven by God in a permanent state of forgiveness so you can spend eternity in heaven. You can know for sure today that you've been rescued by the actions of Jesus. Is that you? Because if that's you, I want to lead you in a simple prayer. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? If this morning you want to put your faith in Jesus, then I just want to ask that you would, just right now, in your heart, right there in your seat, do some business with God. And the words that I'm about to pray to God, make them your own words in your heart to God and give your life to him. Just simply pray this, Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you washed away my sins. Thank you that you died on the cross for me. I believe that by your actions, I've been set free from what I deserve an eternity away from you. But I accept that. Thank you, God, for forgiving me and for providing the opportunity for me to spend an eternity in heaven one day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321 or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.